And welcome to Lily High on Life and another wonderful guest, my good friend and guest for today, Anna Peters. Anna, welcome to Lily High on Life. Hi, Lily. How are you? I am extremely excited to have you here because you really are the epitome of the type of person that I want people to know about. When people see you in the street, first of all, you look at least 15 years younger than what I know your age is. You're always amazingly well put together and well groomed. And yet, if somebody were to know you and know some of the things that they've done, that you've done in your life, they would be absolutely amazed. Not just the good things, but also the real challenges you've gone through as well. So, Let's start with today, because today you're doing some very exciting things with your life. Tell me a little bit about the right here and now and what's going on for you. Okay, well, I came back into back to Melbourne um, a year and a half ago after being away for 15 years, and this is my hometown, so it was interesting <laughs> coming back. And What's the career place you're in right now? Right now, I'm working with health and genetics, nutrition, gut health, um, all the lovely things. <laughs> and um, with and so you've got your own practice. Mm-hmm, yes. And what kind of people and what kind of situations do you help with? Give so, us a little plug for you uh, right oh, now as well. Thank you. Well, basically, it's all about nutrition for your genes um you know so many people come to me and say you know i want to lose weight or i want to gain weight or my stomach's you know not being right it's bloated i'm having issues you know i get pain every now and then and so i say okay you know what what tests have you done and we've got these accurate tests. Technology is amazing, and we've come so far. And at the yes, at tell the moment, tell us about the mm-hmm. DNA stuff that you're doing. Sure. So what I always recommend is um, rather than it being a guessing game, which it was for a long time because we didn't have access to the tests that we have now, the technology that we have now. Um, I work with genetic testing, and the genetic tests show us everything that that individual is made up of their entire biochemistry so if we do a full genetic test or full genetic profile it shows us what they're born with good and bad genes and the most important thing is in the past we weren't able to influence those genes but now we can through lifestyle change through diet change uh, supplementation whatever's required depending on their genes so if you're born with a diabetic gene for example it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get diabetes if you have the information early there's things that you can do to keep those genes switched off so that you don't end up with diabetes so there are some things that we do get predisposed to because we get 50 percent of our genes from each parent so we don't really know what we're going to (laughs) get yes but now we can actually do something about it but it's not only uh, the diagnostic part of this that's exciting with what you're wellness not so much diagnostic i'm I'm on the wellness side of things that it's the medical professionals that do the diagnostic side of it yes but you've also come to this from your own health challenges and so Mm -hmm. your um uh, the work that you do is very very personal for you yes it is tell us a little bit about that journey yes so from a little child I had a lot of um, problems with my stomach I was in and out of hospital there was a lot of pain a lot of throwing up (laughs) 
uh, which we just thought was because I was either overeating or, you know, um, you know, and didn't sort of kept jumping around after a meal or something. We didn't, you know, my parents didn't sort of take any notice of it because it sort of passed. It would come up and then it would pass and we'd go to the hospital and they couldn't really find anything wrong. But as I got older, it got worse. And, and so you found your own solutions. So I had to because it was, it was really severe. Um, you know, we knew that there was something seriously wrong, but, you know, I was being tested for cancer and all sorts of things. And, and that was before the days of Google too. Or? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So you really had to work out. It wasn't just... Yes, and there was, you know, about four different uh, medical procedures. I had to go into hospital to have surgery to find out what it possibly could be. Um, and then in the end, it came out nothing. There was nothing wrong, but we knew that there was something there was wrong. There was something definitely there. Yeah. And then you had other health problems as well. You were in a series of accidents yes. that left you immobilised yes. for a while. That's right. Tell yep. us a little bit about those. So when I was 17, I had those three car accidents as a passenger in a taxi. And, uh, you know, when you're 17, you think you're indispensable, especially when you're an athlete. Um, you kind of just brush it off as if... It's and you'd always been very physically involved and did at- all different kinds of athletics. Yes. And it wasn't until I was 19, it was a year after the last accident, and um, I had a severe neck spasm, which um, debilitated me, and it was extremely painful. I mean, I was uncontrollably screaming. I mean, we couldn't. It felt like somebody was stabbing me in the neck. It was so painful. Um, And so what we did was um, they rushed me to the chiropractor. It was a Sunday of all days. (laughs) These things happen on Sunday. And um, the chiropractor said, you know, you're in the red, which means that you've got to continue coming because, you know, your body is in a position that it shouldn't be in and we need to manage that. Now, let me just stop you for a second because when you say you were in pain, everybody thinks they understand that. But you were performing, doing athletic performances and won a championship with a cracked uh, it was a fractured spine. spine. With a fractured spine, yes. you completed and won mm-hmm. this competition. So yeah. if well, it was about 20 competitions just, over a two-year period. <laughs> and was it you just got used to the pain or it was so a different pain? or That pain stopped after I had visited the chiropractor a few times. And I still had the fractured spine, but nobody had actually diagnosed it. So I didn't know that I was actually twisting up. So although I was training heavily, training, it was five hours a day of training. And I think because of the fracture, with the fracture, I think because of the amount of muscle, um, it must have sort of held it all, held me together. Um, But towards the end, um, after the, the national championships, we were. I was training for the Olympic team for the 2004 Asian Games, and um, it was after that that we didn't end up going because um, China got a little bit upset that we weren't all Asian. So we were a bit upset after training so hard. There was 14 of us, which is fair enough. That's their country rules. And uh, so we were a bit disappointed although I continued my training I started to get injury one after the it was constant injury and you and I are both from the school where we believe that things don't happen by accident um not even it's not so much preordained but we live our life 
in a certain way because that's the way it's supposed to go to take us to the next stage. Mm -hmm. So you've had this experience of cumulative pain and cumulatively looking to excel in very physical sports that should have, the pain should have stopped and it didn't. So Yes, after I hit a certain stage where when I stopped training because of the injury, because the constant I was doing, you know, um, hamstring, we were pulling the muscles and that takes like six months to repair and then I'd go back to training and then I'd do it again and then I'd do a groin injury and it was it was a constant injury that was occurring because what was actually happening, which I wasn't aware of, was that the because of the fracture, theoretically, your 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 vertebra sits on top of one another but if one of them is so far forward theoretically you should collapse because the weight of the skull which weighs about five kilos or your head it's the heaviest part of you um, would collapse it so the body compensates by twisting itself in and protecting the, the spinal cord so I was actually twisting in inwards and uh, what was happening was my organs were beginning to be crushed so after 10 years Around about the age of 28, I shut down. The whole body just shut down and the paralysis came in because I was being I was being twisted up and so the nerves were being pressed. Yeah, pressed. which is pretty. So I've got to ask you, why did you keep going? What was it that, that said, nope, I'm going to keep doing this instead of, well, maybe I should take a break? <laughs> that wasn't in my vocabulary. <laughs> I just you I was a high really. achiever and I and I thought you know I can overcome anything I mean that's how my mindset was because from a very young age I had set my goal on achieving that particular athletic goal so I knew that all I had to do was put the training in put the time in put the effort in and that I would achieve what I wanted to achieve so it didn't occur to you or you didn't see it as an option to stop is that what you're actually saying because I didn't actually know that there was an underlying serious condition in my spine i mean we we were trained to overcome discomfort or pain in martial arts that's what we did we used to have to stand up against the wall and bend our legs and no matter how much they were burning we just had to use our mind to overcome that and that's wow. what that's the that was the the discipline so coming back to this uh point where it got really um, unbearably twisted and it was starting to affect other organs. Mm -hmm. um, what happened then? So I, of course I was, I was starting to feel the pain. I was starting to get migraines and headaches. Now up until then I could handle physical pain in the body but the moment it went into the, the head I couldn't function. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't concentrate. It was starting to affect me mentally. So I would go to the doctor and I would tell him, I'm, I'm in a lot of pain, you know, and I'm feeling really achy in the head. So the painkillers started and then I just had to, I couldn't sleep, so I had to take painkillers. I was on those painkillers for 10 years and, and I still didn't know that I had a fractured spine. Wow. And it wasn't until the doctor said we have to take you off the painkillers because it's affecting your liver now and it, and if we don't get you off them in a few years you'll you're going to need a new one and that's when i just thought oh my goodness this is really serious 
And that's when somebody finally thought to do a complete scan or x-ray? Or? At that point, I, I was never told that you have the condition called spondylolisthesis, which is what they call a forward fracture of the spine. So one of the vertebras had completely gone forward. But again, at this point, I still didn't know. I mean, I was going to specialist after specialist after specialist. And while you were doing this, you were still training, you were no, still living no, no. your life? At the age of 28, everything stopped. Everything. I mean, I had pushed myself so far and I wasn't, I was ignoring all the warning signs because I, you know, I thought I was, <laughs> I thought I was Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sound like Wonder Woman with all the, <laughs> how much you'd actually achieved, not only with the martial arts, but also with the other um, uh, sports and things that you were participating in. So at 28, you really did stop. And that's yeah. when you started to learn how to heal. Yeah. So I had, I wasn't, so it was, I think it was the universe's way of slowing me down and making me stand still so that I was uh, able to work it out. So I was standing still completely because I couldn't work. I couldn't actually move my right arm. That was paralyzed. I had semi-paralysis up uh, up on the right shoulder and down the arm. And so I thought, okay, well, what can I do? So I started reading and started uh, re-educating myself and doing things that didn't require physical work. And then I started investigating cell the cells and the nerves because I knew I had to rebuild myself and repair and I came across this incredible inspirational story about a, a gymnast who had um, severed his spine and and th- then he talked about the study that he did and how the nerves actually grew back about a year and a half later so that gave me hope that I was going to because I was told I wasn't going to have feeling back ever again I mean the things that I was told I was I was petrified at 28 that's pretty scary yeah and you had no idea that all of this was going to lead you into an amazing career where you're actually going to help others with that as well that's right I had no idea (laughs) I have a dream is something I've always told people to believe in yourself and if you believe in yourself no one can take that away from you So no matter what you want to do, even if it's not what society around you wants for you, and if it doesn't fit in their box, then you should just go for it. And I have a dream just is a constant reminder of following your dreams and never, ever stopping or ever, ever giving up because you're going to have those down moments. And when you do, you've just got to remember it's temporary and that over time you'll find the way back out and back up. And absolutely. Anything your mind can conceive, you can absolutely achieve. And I believe in angels. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and part of your healing now, I mean, we'll go back and we'll talk about how all of that past, past history mm-hmm. brought you into what you're doing now. And part of that is also an in- intuitive healing as well, Yes, which a lot of people aren't that comfortable with because they see medicine as being black and white. But in actual fact, we all have a, an intuitive sense That's right. that if we followed it more, would do us so much more service in our lives. <laughs> yes, if I didn't ignore all the signs, I wouldn't have ended up where I was. <laughs> but were you really ignoring the signs or were there other pressures, friends, family? Were there- I was running away. <clears throat> yeah, I was definitely running away and seeking approval. Um, 
So while you were succeeding and doing all these wonderful things, you were gaining approval from whom? So the first half of my life, I lived my life to to seek approval from my father because I was actually rejected as a child because I he had you know in uh, having Greek background, it's very sort of un Greek not to have a boy in the family. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and of course. Uh, my older sister was born first, so the next child was expected to be a boy, and and everybody convinced my father I was going to be a boy, and he expected a boy to come. And when it didn't, it didn't happen, of course I got rejected, and so that was really painful growing up. When did you realise it? I knew that something wasn't right. Um, there were very painful moments. I remember. But my mother always knew how to um, compensate for it. So I didn't realize it until later in my teens because everything I did, which I realized I was doing for him, not for me. I mean, mm. you know, training a soccer team, senior male soccer team, wasn't something that was a, on the charts as a career path. <laughs> but, not then. And, 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 you know, I think, I think he was also trying to... Um, influence me into meeting someone and marrying me off and having me go on my merry way you know and I felt that I and that was painful I felt that you know you just wanted his approval and his and his love, love. I wanted his love and you know it took me a long time to work it out but I realized that my dad didn't have love for himself so it yeah. was hard for him to love me if he couldn't even love himself. Yeah. And a lot of that was a generational thing because mm-hmm. of what they went through. Oh. And they didn't, and their parents, oh. our grandparents, had a very different life. Difficult, yeah. Which was not just difficult, but didn't even, wasn't even aware of the emotional significance of things that happened. You just lived. You didn't think about what it meant. You didn't think about feelings, and and this was it was just survival mode for so many of them for so long. Yes, and he's he's got an incredible story. I mean, his mother was royalty. Was born in the Greek, you know, palace in Athens, I and mean, he came from royalty. But he ended up, you know, post-war. It was the opposite. You know, she came from his mother, my grandmother who was um, the child of King Alexander, who reigned Greece for three years. Wow. Yes. So, you know, it was interesting. She didn't even know. um, She didn't tell her second husband because they wouldn't have believed her because it was the war came in and then, you know, the royal family was exiled out. So there was no royal family anymore in Greece. And um, But she had a nervous breakdown and she kept talking about the palace that she was born in and she told them the address and everything and, you know, the, the children and my granddad went to the palace and, they f- and the caretaker, who was about 90, um, sh- showed them through to her room where all her, her toys were still there and they had her name engraved in them. It's all... It's all wow, so then yeah. your dad and his siblings did a journey back... They, this was before they actually came to Australia. So it was, you know, 1940, 50s, around that time. And a very interesting story. But, you know, they had and hard so times. And so he had his own story of 
hardship, mm. extreme hardship, hardship and confusion and, and sort of like he could have been brought up in a royal palace and here he was crossing the ocean <laughs> <laughs> by himself <laughs> to start a new life probably yep. quite a young age yes or? he was i think 18 or 16 16 actually when he arrived in australia so um did you end up working through any of this with your dad i tried i tried very very hard and i realized that he wasn't ready for it and every now and then I'd go back and try again and realise, oh, no, he's not ready yet. And that's a journey that he will have to take. And my arms will always be open and my heart will always be open. But, you know, there's so he's so not aware. Is he aware um, of what you felt, what your feelings were as a child of that rejection that you felt from him? Uh, funny enough, when I arrived back in Australia, my father had a stroke, a double stroke. When I arrived back in the country, we were heading back to Sydney mm-hmm. and I got the intuition, intuitive feeling a few months back while we were living in Vietnam, my husband and I, and I said to my husband, something's going to happen to my father. So I, I hadn't spoken to him for three years and I never knew if I was going to get a happy father or a, or a, or a mean one. So I, I thought I better ring up because I'd hate to think that something would happen and I never got a chance to speak to him. Mm. So I rang him and he was really happy to hear from me. So I thought that was great. And I told him that I was going to be in Australia in October and was thinking to come and visit Melbourne because um, at the time we were heading back to Sydney. And w- was he going to be in the in the city in the country and he said yeah sure when you get here give me a call so i did but the week that we were packing from vietnam and the universe has its own way uh, closed all the doors for sydney and we ended up coming to stay in melbourne and that week he had the double stroke as we were packing so luckily <laughs> i was here anyway because if we did end up in sydney i would have had to keep I would have had to come down. So for six, he was in hospital for quite some time. And, I, you know, I was there every day making sure that they... The professor was amazing at Monash. They did everything I asked, which was fantastic. I didn't expect it. And they were feeding him even the things, that the supplements that he needed to take. And I made them do some genetic tests. And they gave him everything through the tube, were crushing everything and making sure that, you know, it was getting inside. So I was so thrilled. And he was, um, during that time you were visiting him in the hospital, mm-hmm. was he well enough to speak with no, you? No, no, he was in intensive gone. care. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, But we were lucky, and, you know, um, because of what we were doing, um, he was out in a few months' time and then into rehab they said that he was most likely not going to um, get feeling back because he was paralyzed on the left hand side because if you don't get the feeling back within three or four days it means that you're most likely not going to get back but i said to my father if you do everything i tell you you'll get full feeling back and he did he took everything i asked him to take and you know i i was gathering all of the supplements that he needed for his genes etc and within two months he was out of that rehab hospital walking Now he's driving. Were the doctors impressed? Yes, I bumped into one of the doctors actually at Caulfield Hospital. I was visiting somebody else who had a knee reconstruction. She pulled me aside and she said to me, can you help me because my mother's sick? And I said, okay. So I thought that was funny. That's fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. And so um, back to, so did you, are you at a place with your dad where you really feel that you have got 
the love that you wanted from him or no. do you just feel it's just not no, no, anything he can no he's not ready and I mean I don't know if he ever will be I don't know if he will be in this lifetime but you know I'm, I'm always praying you know and he likes your husband Stephen yeah he did he did he loved Steve yeah. and he, he did say when we were in the hospital one day he said to him look after look after Anna <laughs> very nice which was nice to yes. hear. But there was a yeah, it was there's a lot of unresolved things and and he's not ready to have a look at it yet. So sorry, we sort of skipped a bit. So you actually healed yourself from mm-hmm. the reading and study that you were doing. Yes. And then and have now gone on to help other people That's like right. your dad mm-hmm. do this. Mm-hmm. Was the trip in Vietnam associated with that as well or was that No, um I I've been studying nutrition since I was 15 purely because as an athlete, you had to learn how to get the best performance out of yourself. Mm -hmm. So it was always understanding what to put inside and what happens when you put it inside. And so all of those years of study and, and always keeping up to date with what the latest diet was for peak performance and what the latest supplements were and breakthroughs. And I was always searching and of course when I had the paralysis I had to go deeper and look into cell health and nerve repair and and through that I had some incredible discoveries I met some amazing professors worked had the opportunity of learning their work I mean they had spent 40 years learning their Mm. what they did and their breakthroughs so that gave me the edge and I was quite ahead of my time I'm going to put your um, uh, website on the um, on my description so people can contact you mm-hmm. because there's so much more to talk about in mm-hmm. terms of that. Mm-hmm. But that's not what your whole life has been. You've no. done some <laughs> other absolutely amazing yeah. things in mm-hmm. your life. You're an extremely talented singer mm-hmm. and now songwriter and creator. Yeah. Actually, when people see you, they probably would believe you're an entertainer. But this magnificent magnificent healer and this person that can actually help people with their pain is probably more of a surprise but we've discussed that let's um tell me about your singing career and how all of that happened okay so i remember always singing as a child and always being told to be quiet (laughs) no (laughs) Uh, always in the back seat of the car wherever we were going somewhere I was always singing and and just so happy with life yes and um, as I got older um, I remember I was 14 years old in high school and one of the band there was a there was a guy at school named Mark and he was in a band it was a Pat Bennett a cover cover band and he wanted me to do the lead vocals so I came home and asked mum and dad and they said absolutely not (laughs) you're too young and I thought oh because this would have meant outside of school rehearsals and you know going to and and that was just not you know in there's no that's not in in the Greek parents world (laughs) it doesn't fit I understand (laughs) so uh, it was I was so devastated Um, you know and and anyway I was doing all the musicals at school even from I remember I think I was six when I did my first musical which was the Wizard of Oz and I played the ballerina munchkin <laughs> gorgeous <laughs> yes yeah, so i had that flair it was always there and um but you know you suppress it because it's it's sort of not 
not promote you know if your parents aren't recognizing it or they're not promoting it you tend to suppress it but well i was encouraged to sing and stand on tables and actually sing that actually happened wow but i wasn't very good they just thought i was cute because i was little <laughs> how do you know so- that you weren't good because <laughs> <laughs> i'm not doing it now okay but you uh, so, so what, i continued what did- i i definitely continued did and- you disobey your parents or i was too young at 14 and i was still going to school and then i you know i was doing my diploma you know and yes. so I, I didn't really um follow it then but the moment it was straight after martial arts it was when i didn't get into the olympic you know we didn't go to the olympics um in 2004 i started seriously being involved and looking for a band and i did some cabaret work for six months and then i was really interested in working with original bands i thought I like the creating side of music rather than just singing other people's songs, mm. which I had been doing my whole life anyway. So I was really wanting to. That must have been pretty crushing after all the work, not getting to the Olympics. So it's it's yeah. it's a nice bridge into a story. But mm-hmm. what was that really like for you, that disappointment? It was really disappointing because we'd been training so hard. And, um, you know, there was 14 of us. And we knew we didn't have any chance of winning because we were up against people that were born and bred and you know it was just the we wanted the experience of going there so how do you let go and then find something else to grab oh, onto? i had to that was that was what it was it was like i don't want to do this anymore because it took the heart out of it for me did and you I, just find something or were you looking for something or? i was definitely thinking about singing a lot more because I, I knew that I, I had my heart was there and i couldn't see myself being without music or without singing somehow in some i needed some sort of involvement i always had a little bit in the background always happening um and i couldn't see a future with martial arts i couldn't see um i didn't want to be you know a teacher and start up a school or anything like that so i really couldn't see a future in it so it was time to do something else so what was the dream when you started going in that in the direction of music and singing I think I just wanted to be in a band and just sing and I just needed to express and and so I found a couple of bands that I worked with and that was fantastic it was a great experience because we were working with original music and I thought wow this is great this is you know and how it, how the band works but the funny thing was I I'm, I was always taking lessons and you, uh, being taught by different coaches you always learn new things and somebody said to me there's a there's a teacher actually not far from your house and um so i i got the details and i rang the the singing coach and when i arrived there i thought oh my goodness that kid mark the the first boy at my school who asked me to join the first band the pat bennett a cover band used to live here so i i went in i met the teacher and i said to her, oh i said my my high school friend used to live here she said what's his name i said mark she said that that's my grandson oh my god <laughs> so years later i'm getting opera lessons she was a she was a, a um an amazing classical opera coach so she taught me amazing you know things i was really and did you get into productions or did you tour and do what what kind so of so we were just gigging live around melbourne until one day i thought i want to do something more and then i realized i realized that i wanted to write my own songs and i started dreaming and it was around the time that i 
couldn't move, mm-hmm. that I started dreaming and hearing tunes. I'd wake up from sleep and I would hear these melodies. And I thought, where is this coming from? It's coming from somewhere else. <laughs> I don't know where it's coming from. So I would record it into my phone and I thought, I don't have the ability to do anything with it right now, but one day I may. And that's where I am now. Obviously, the last 10 years I've been working on, you know, writing, recording, and we've even developed, you know, we've, I, I chose children's songs because that's what was coming in. And I have written some motivational songs, tracks that I've performed for companies mm-hmm. um, overseas. In New Zealand, I performed one for a company over there and, and one locally from an American, for an American company. I wrote the song. I had two weeks. I wrote it and performed it. <laughs> Went into the studio and recorded it. Yep. And so your life really has changed and gone in such different directions, all that you've really excelled in and all that have, have make, made up this wonderful tapestry of, of what makes you so amazingly generous and such an enigma because it's you know some people have want they know they're going to be a doctor or they know they're going to be a lawyer and other people and I'm like this too we allow our lives to evolve and we welcome what comes into it and I've been fortunate enough to get to know your husband Stephen as well and you really do just complement each other so wonderfully I think the thing that is most um, admirable is that you just support each other so well. So he's really supporting you in all the things that you're doing. Oh, my goodness. He saved me. I mean, I met Steve, my husband, when my mother died. It was six months after my mother died. And at that point, I thought, oh, my goodness, can I be thrown any more curveballs? You know, I'm just... And I still hadn't found the treatment to reverse my condition. It was unreversible. At that point, it was still unreversible. I was told it was never going to be fixed. And I was just going to end up being stuck with this constant pain in the neck and back. And um, so when Steve came along, um, and it took me a while to realize that, you know, that something was going to happen between us because at the time I was still grieving and very heavily grieving. It's amazing how intuitive you can be to others and how blind to yourself. Yes, that's right. I was definitely blind. <laughs> but I did tell my mum to give me some huge signs on her dying bed. You know, the, the week before she died, I said to her, Mum, please, can you please send me the right man? And whatever you do, make sure the signs are so big that I don't miss them because I know I'm going to miss them. And she did. She sent me some incredible signs, and Steve was a witness to those, so it was very inspirational. Um, so meeting Steve was a fantastic... He came in at the most perfect time. Of course. Timing is always perfect. Mm-hmm. And then you also worked with Olivia Newton-John's foundation as well. Yes. Did that come through the entertainment industry so stuff? So, actually, when I moved to Sydney... Um, I left the band that I was working with and I had written some songs and I was in I was looking for a, a, a good music producer, which I did. But at the same time I was doing some business coaching. It was life and health coaching and business coaching. And I had this client and they were involved with a shoe company that I did a fashion show for. Um, and that was that's what led to 
uh, me being the celebrity liaison for the Great Walk to Beijing because I arranged the sponsorship from for my from my client for the walk, and and as a shoot off from there, I was responsible for getting the international shoe company involved to supplying the shoes for all the celebrities that were going on the Great Walk to Beijing. What is the Great Walk to Beijing? So the Great Walk to Beijing was a project that Olivia Newton-John put together to raise money for her wellness centre here in Melbourne. And they needed to raise $5 million. And so I thought it was a brilliant cause. And so I thought that I would you know be active get active and and the australian company shoe company wasn't talking to the international company so i had to be the one putting it all together so that the celebrities uh, from all over the world that were going to attend the walk which was at different stages would have the right appropriate footwear not everybody chose to wear the footwear but a lot of the celebrities did. So I've got Phyllis Diller in my inbox and Cliff Richard in my inbox and all of these amazing How people. fun. So really, I mean, your life has been this wonderful kaleidoscope of great achievement and sports achievements and business achievements. And, and really, it sounds like fun times. And we haven't even had a chance to look at how many different countries you've lived in and all the travel <laughs> that you've done. Yeah. So there'll have to be a part two at some stage okay. but um, it's it sounds like you've really made the most of life despite all the pain and and um, those sorts of things which actually brought you into being able to help so many people today and that's really what it's all about so thank you so much I really really appreciate you being a guest on Lily High on Life thank you for having me Anna P 